This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, it is September 22nd. It is Wednesday. Uh, Markets were up a big chunk today. Dow rebounded about 450 points. It's been on a four-day slide. This is in light of the Fed saying they're not ready to remove stimulus yet. As a result, you saw Treasuries kind of tepid and muted as well, uh, down slightly. 10-year end of the day at 1.307. S&P up 1% roughly. Dow Jones up 1% roughly. VIX was down 13% today. Grant, uh, anything to you know help illustrate illustrate what happened? Well, it's good to see a four-day losing streak. I know we'll get into that reasons why we, we saw a bit of a slip. September, we're seeing a lot of volatility in the market, uh, ups and downs. Uh, analysts are predicting this choppiness will continue into October. If we think about the Fed, even though they said they're not going to raise rates, uh, they said signaled that next year they will they will consider it. And, and it's a high possibility of that. We saw analysts now price in at least one right, uh, rate hike for next year. Also, a big piece is we saw that they were planning to reduce their uh, bond purchasing per month program. So, so reduce the volume in that. Remember, they've been doing about $120 billion per month in this bond buying pro- program since the pandemic hit. Uh, so really overall, the Fed is acknowledging that the economy is strong. We are in a bit of an inflationary period. Uh, the market reacted to that because that was the first time that we saw um, some, some strong commentary from the Fed. Yeah, I mean, a, a big part of reason why we've had a couple down days in the market is when you're looking at the Chinese firm Evergrande. Uh, Evergrande is major real estate market it's, it's sitting on roughly $300 billion of debt, and it's got a series of bank loans coming up. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, you saw shares fall over 10% on the Hang Seng, you know, Hong Kong's um, index. And big tests will be coming, I mean, this previous week, uh, you know, they're due to pay $83.5 million in interest. Um, you know, it's got another uh, $47.5 million payment due on September uh, 29th um, for, for March 2024 notes, uh, and ultimately the bonds will default if they fail to settle the interest within 30 days of these scheduled payment dates. So it's a lot to look at. Um, big question, of course, is whether the Chinese Communist Party helped bail them out. This is all falling roughly on 13th year, uh, the 13th year of the, the Lehman Brothers collapse. So you've got that as a historical background as well. And people are because of that now drawing the two and. We shouldn't be as concerned. It's definitely concerning if we think about uh, the largest real estate conglomerate in China failing and going belly up. That that would definitely have a, a problem because it is the country's top selling property developer. But that said, it is a little bit different than Lehman Brothers because Evergrande has physical assets that can be sold to help its debts. Um, so if there was a restructuring rather than a default, uh, Evergrande uh, could just start to sell off some assets that, that would be worth something. So it, it won't just be a, a complete belly up flop like we saw with Lehman Brothers. One other thing to note is we we did see they came the Evergreen leadership came out and said that they could repay uh, some of it. Looks like they're having a settled negotiations this week. 
Uh, really unclear how that's going to shake out. Seems like a bailout will, will pop, most likely come, uh, but it seems hedge funds are now buying up Evergrande bonds and, and hiring advisors to see how they can make money off a potential collapse uh, and being ones that could gather some of those assets. Mm. We should note that this really comes in the context of a very tight 50-day moving average. The, I mean, there's a lot of fundamentals that haven't affected the market, right? I mean, you have lackluster, or I mean, I, I guess I should say moderate economic growth due to an exploding Delta uh, variant. You have, you know, talks about the Fed uh, eventually ending the tapering, and, and then you have Evergrande. So that's three things that would rock the fundamentals. But when you look at a technical stand, standpoint, the fact is the 50-day moving average is often often discussed when you're looking at drawdowns. Um, right now, you know, it's it's kind of been along the line uh, for for the longest time in in in, in, um, in, in roughly a year. Um, so it's it's really gone about 220 roughly days uh, without two weeks uh, without two closes below the average, which you're looking at. That's the second longest streak since 1990. So really, we're going to be trying to see if that streak breaks. Uh, have no idea what today did if that took us above the average or not. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's been some really tight trading. Yeah, and, and, and the reason why it's such a big indicator is between the 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 50-day moving average, the 100-day moving average, and the 200. The 50 really has been the most accurate historically, and it's really considered to be the, the first line of support and upward trend uh, or, or, or resistance in the downward trend. So it's really going to be that support marker that, that, that people look for. Um, you know, one thing is, is there usually is negative seasonality in September, which could uh, preview bullish responses at the second half of the year if we see the demand continue into the holiday season. Um, you know, really one thing to, to note is, is if we do continue to see it, it break this 50-day moving average, we could see a run um, or, or if it re trend reverses, that could be in, in strong support of, uh, of a run. Yeah. We should note there, there's plenty of bargain buys out there right now. Major one might be Airbnb. It's down roughly 25% from all-time highs, which it had reached this February. Um, but last Friday, it, it ended on a four-month uh, closing high uh, as well. So when you're looking at 50 and 100-day moving averages, uh, Airbnb's been trading above the 20. And um, shares are still up 15% from you know their IPO in December 2020. Uh, there's definitely some other ones as well. We did see that the home builder se sediment uh, for the for the month of September rose a point to 76, um, which was the first increase in three months. So home builders and single family construction are now starting to feel a little bit better. One big reason is because we saw some of the construction costs start to come down. So if you remember, lumber prices were at really record prices a couple months ago. They reached 1,600 per thousand square foot this uh, spring and now are back down to, to about $400. Um, Drew, what's your take on where the housing market is today? 
Yeah, I mean, we still got it. We should mention Fannie Mae's also lowered their expectations for fourth quarter. Uh, new home sales went from 846,000 units to 789,000 units annualized. Uh, when you're looking at Doug Duncan, uh, Fannie Mae's chief economist, you know, he mentioned that affordability remains a challenge even with mortgage rates near historic lows, but says that if the pace of income growth doesn't keep up with inflation and interest rates move more than expected, uh, we should see activity slow down um, a little bit. Uh, should also note that regionally, you know, you've seen builder sentiment drop um, drop a bit across the South and the Midwest as well. And it comes down to people being priced out as well, which I think why we see a little decrease in demand because afford affordability is a big challenge because even with mortgage, mortgage rates at historic lows, if income growth can't keep up, uh, then people will be priced out and won't have the same demand that may have a, a plateau there. Um, and with costs going down, that could be a big factor. Yeah, I mean, it's just certainly not a builder's market anymore, right? So you've just seen an increase in supply constraints. But Absolutely, with the bottlenecks. Let's talk about supply constraints. Let's jump across the pond. Uh, looks like the British energy industry could head, be headed for a shakeup here. Uh, wholesale gas prices have spiked all across the European region, uh, especially in the UK. So we saw the uh, Dutch TTF hub, uh, really a benchmark for natural gas trading, uh, gained on Monday to about uh, $885 per megawatt using. Uh, and really, that's been 250% increase since January. Uh, natural gas is, is a really hasn't been uh, a, a big sector that there's a lot of diversification. And now where the prices are headed, we could see uh, companies start to join to avoid collapsing. Yeah, I mean, there's some big, big macro issues that are uh, that we can attribute to this. There's been outages at U.S. production facilities. Uh, there's been a lot of competition when we're looking at natural gas deliveries between Europe and Asia. Um, there's also been uh, some increased uh, carbon EU carbon uh, market rules um, uh, as well that you know, affects transfer of national gas, uh, natural gas. So you know, I mean, when you're looking at it, it might be a situation where things get a little bit worse before um, that they they do end up getting better. Um, and it's definitely going to be uh, the you know the government is going to be keen to, to stop the crisis from from hitting consumers too hard because it's it's definitely an inflationary item that um, people feel, you know, very severely on a monthly basis. And if we think about inflation, bringing it back to the United States, we saw that American corporations have mentioned the term inflation during earnings call. Um, about 224 companies, 44% around the entire S&P 500 index uh, universe mentioned it on earnings call, which was the highest. Um, inflation's on everyone's mind. We've been talking it for months. Everyone's been talking about it for months. Um, we have seen the pace just to above, for July, above 5%, which was the highest since 2008, when we saw um, consumer prices jump a little bit due to oil prices. Um, Drew, how worried should we be about inflation and are we, how long are we going to continue to talk about it? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, who, who knows? Uh, wh what we do know is when we're looking at earnings calls, 224 companies 
you know, it's 44% of the S&P 500. Uh, we're looking between June 15th, September 14th. They referenced inflation um, during their earnings calls, which which is the largest since 2010, which, you know, we were on the, the back end of another economic recession at that point as well. 2010, obviously, we haven't seen inflation. You know, from from the 08 housing bubble, there's there's a decade of talking about it, and yet we never hit Fed targets. I think this is obviously different. I mean, we've got a 12 month increase in, in core consumer prices in the U.S. Um, that was at 5.4 percent in July. It's the highest since 2008. Um, and, and and I mean, yeah, I mean, you're you're also coming off the backdrop of the world was closed down, so inflation's going to look more relative but uh yeah i mean we're just there's just still a lot of supply constraints um and i mean i i really just think inflation will go down when when there's some way to to mitigate this virus whether it's uh, vaccines or whether we find effective antiviral treatments but i mean that's that's always going to be the factor right and it makes sense if you think about it to your point that 12 months ago Factories had been shut down, economies had been shut down. Uh, so one, prices weren't increasing, but then also on the flip side of that, since goods weren't being produced, then now people are looking for those in, in a higher demand. There's less of them because factories were shut down and therefore we're seeing those prices increase as well. One thing to note is we did see wages are climbing at the fastest pace in more than a decade. So it seems like across the country, companies are, are really desperate to hire workers, raising their wages because they can't find enough qualified applicants. And we talked about that last week about the mismatch in, in skill versus uh, what the positions are looking for. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I really think that the biggest hurdle uh, coming up is going to be the, the debt ceiling and, and the any, any concessions over this? Uh, I mean, right now, Mitch McConnell's insisted Republicans are not going to cooperate uh, to increase to spend the debt ceiling. Um, Democrats can do it through budget really reconciliation. Uh, I saw they had a temporary, they, they kicked the can down the road a little bit today. But, um, you know, the Democrats are definitely in disarray. They can't agree on the infrastructure project, they can't agree on the budget reconciliation. Uh, you have Joe Biden meeting with uh, both moderates and progressives in Congress this week. He's really going to try and sell the deal, pitch it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if these guys fail, if if the legislative branch fails to raise the debt ceiling, I mean, you could have uh, just really catastrophic, um, you know, sequence of events. Uh, it would be very very devastating. Last time this happened, there was a downgrade. It is crazy not to do it in the midst of a recession. Um, McConnell himself voted to increase or suspend the debt ceiling 32 times in the past, including three times under Trump. So, I mean, you know, tickle me shocked, you know, the, the guy, the man's found religion on the debt ceiling all of a sudden. But, but yeah, that's what you're looking at. Well, I think McConnell is playing his hand because he is the, his, he's calling that the Democrats can do it because they control both Congress and the White House. Um, so they just need to get aligned. And he knows that the Democrats can't get out of the way right now, as you mm-hmm. just mentioned. So he says, you guys have the votes to get it through. 
um, and that the debt ceiling should be raised because the, the Democrats can do it. Democrats are saying they want bipartisanship. Um, you know, I mean, if they don't need it, they can get it done themselves. It is interesting because 97% of the current debt that the U.S. has accumulated was before Biden has taken office. So it's really just a drop in the bucket and people are really worried about, about Biden's plan. Um, and, and really they're not worried about the bills that have been passed since he's taken office. It's really this infrastructure bill, as you mentioned, this 3.5 trillion over the next 10 years numbers that's been growing down. Um, and we did see that the House approved uh, a bill raising the debt limit, and now it's uh, until the end of 2022. Uh, but now it's, as you mentioned, now it heads to the Senate where Republicans have warned they'll block really any increase. So it, it seems like we may have a bit of a stalemate on our hands here, and, and it would be catastrophic to the environment, uh, to the not environment, but the economy if we uh, if we defaulted on our debt. Think, yeah, of, yeah. think about what Evergrande did, and that's just one Chinese company. Think right. about the U.S. government. Yeah, I mean, you just—I mean, the government is just—you know—it's it's, U.S. federal government is an international laughing stock. It's a circus, and I mean, this is really where we're at right now. Um, it's just—it's just a gigantic, a gigantic game of chicken. But we'll see how it plays out. It's—it's uh, it's definitely going to be a contentious and kind of vexing couple weeks, though. Um, anything we overlook, Grant? Uh, I think one thing to uh, to look at is the Fed Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell today said that the central bank uh, current trading rules are, are inefficient and that they would be looking into it. Be interesting to see uh, what changes come out uh, of those, if any, because I mean I think it's pretty apparent that a lot of people in Congress as well as the Fed are have some insider information. It seems like they make really good trades right before uh, something pops or drops. So um, be curious to see how those shake out. What about you, Drew? Yeah, you have one big thing is um, Facebook's chief technology offer, officer is going to step down. So you know, Zuckerberg's going to be trying to appoint Hardware boss as a replacement. Um, it's looking like you'll be replaced by Andrew Bosworth, who's uh, who's in Facebook's hardware division. Um, you know, Facebook's been under a ton of scrutiny lately. They've obviously been in front of Congress multiple times over the last couple of years. Uh, any big, you know, C-suite shakeup um, is something to look for. So, um, yeah, that's 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 I think a big news item that was overlooked. Thank you all for listening, uh, for liking and subscribing. Talk to you again this coming week. Um, thanks, and, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.